We're in the series called uh, Journeys to God Knows Where, and uh, we think that this journey that we're on with God is like, um, we don't know where it's going. My quote of the day already was Michael leading worship. He said, uh, I don't know where this is going. Are you with me? Do you remember that part? <laughs> and a few of you went, yeah, that sounds like a smart move. Yeah. We don't have any idea where this is going. I'm on board. Let's do that. And uh, that's what our journey with God is about. We're, God knows where. And it's a journey of our submission to him and our living in this lordship that we'd actually preach about and talk about and say we believe in and read about. Man, God is in charge of our lives. So we're doing this series on journeys and we're studying, we're kind of in Matthew where Jesus has been teaching and we're kind of in Exodus where, you know, the nation of Israel was, uh, was on a journey and that's sort of the, um, where we've been and what we've been looking at. This morning my title is, The Journey Reveals Character. The Journey Reveals Character. And um, the text is Exodus 17, and I alluded to this text about, I don't know, whenever I preached a couple of times ago, it was maybe two or three weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think, and uh, I alluded to this text, and I just couldn't get away from it, I needed to come back to it. The beginning of Exodus chapter 17, um, let's read that as we get started. Here's the word of the Lord, friends. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded. Now, that sin doesn't mean sin the way we think of sin, like the desert of sin, like sin happens there. It's the Hebrew word. It's actually shin, but um, that's just the uh, you know, transliteration. So it was just a name. Traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make um, us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I going to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And go on. You remember, that, remember the staff? That was... When God spoke to Moses the first time, he was a shepherd, so he had this staff, and you know, God did some miraculous things with the staff, including the, the plagues, and the, this is how he got the people set free. So this became the symbol of God's presence and power. He said, take that staff in your hand. And I think that probably when the people saw that Moses grabbed the staff, they were probably like, oh, something's going to happen right here. <laughs> kind of like when your dad used to go get the belt. No, not like that. Sorry. So, um, <laughs> I will stand, the Lord said, I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massah and Meribah. Two words be that mean these things because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Friends, that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The title is The Journey Reveals Character, but we don't talk so much about that side of it. We, we have this pithy statement, the journey develops character, the journey builds character. That's, that's the thing that we say most often, right? Well, it builds character, and it's sort of this common, I don't know, it's in our vernacular, this, well, that'll build character, and it's sort of a euphemism for, you know, life's really hard, and it's awful, and it somehow mysteriously does something good for you. I mean, that's sort of how we... We sort of say it. I mean, my title is not that. My title is about revealing character. But this is, we, we do talk about journey 
uh, developing or, or building character. I don't even know that we know what that means. But whenever something's hard, we'll go, well, it'll build character. Like it's magic. Like it just sort of happens. The best thing I saw about this was uh, Calvin and Hobbes' uh, uh, thing. His dad's famous for this. So Calvin there is saying, uh, so we can't get a snowblower. We must be the only family in the world that still shovels the driveway by hand. I'm freezing, his dad says. Builds character. Keep at it. Actually, that panel went on. I don't have it. But that panel went on to say, Calvin says to the, you know, to, to the audience, so to speak, how come whenever I build character, he saves a couple hundred bucks? Like that. <laughs> and then this one, you know, I, I don't know if you followed the, the track of his dad taking him camping all the time. And ta-da, here we are. And, and uh, Calvin says, good old itchy island, home of the nuclear mosquitoes. His dad says, bug bites build character. Yeah, and last year you said diarrhea builds character. <laughs> There's another time once, I don't have this, but there's another time where he put on his dad's glasses and he combed his hair like his dad and he was pretending to be his dad and what words came out of his mouth was, Calvin, go do something you hate. It builds character to be miserable. (laughs) What would your kid say when he puts on your glasses and acts like you? What would he say? Yeah, they actually have a really funny relationship, this idea of building character, those two, because uh, it's what dads do. It builds character. But friends, the journey develops character because and simply because, my title, it reveals character. The journey develops character, but only because it reveals character. It's not by magic. It's not like, well, something hard, we're assuming this journey sometimes is very difficult. Anybody want to argue with that? I mean, life's hard, man. And following God is hard and it's challenging. So it develops character for sure, but not by magic, not by, you've seen plenty of people who have gone through plenty of hard things and have very little character. Isn't that true? No, the journey reveals character. So we grow because the journey actually reveals character, and then don't miss this piece. So we're moved then to get with God. See, we grow out of our journey. We get developed out of this journey. Because the journey itself reveals where we really are, and that motivates us to get with God and do something about it. I don't know if you remember this verse from a few weeks ago when I preached Deuteronomy 8.2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness. There's the difficult journey. The Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness, those 40 years, to humble and test you. Here's the reveal. In order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. Now, that wasn't, the Lord wasn't revealing it to himself because he needed it revealed. He knew exactly what was in their hearts. The Lord knows exactly what's in your heart, whether you'll be obedient or not. God knows your character right now. So, by the way, you could stop trying to fake him out. He knows your character. Why would it be revealed? God was putting them in the desert to humble them and to test them, to find out. What, so they themselves would know, oh, this is where I am. I better get with God and do something about this. So this is the, the, the pretext of the, of the morning. The, our journey reveals character. Let me start with how. How does our journey reveal character? And this is sort of a preamble as well. A good journey reveals character this way. Number one, when our strength is sapped, we don't fake it so well anymore. 
When our journey, when, we, when, our, when we're sapped, when our strength is sapped, we do not fake it so well anymore. When you look at the text that, that we read from Exodus 17, they had been traveling from place to place as the Lord had commanded. That was, and, 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 and they're supposed to be in that, in that phraseology, a sense in which they were like traveling from place to place to place. It was ongoing and they didn't have any water and so the people were thirsty. There was a sapping of strength there. When we're on a, on a journey of adventure, we're going to get our strength sapped. It's going to be beyond our ability to handle it all the time. And so when our journey, when our strength is sapped, we don't fake it so well anymore. Hello, dad in the car on vacation. <laughs> when Linda and I lived in Colorado, we would come home to California at least two times a year because all of our family was still in, in California. And so we would load up the Suburban with all four of our kids and all the junk and the two car top carriers, and we always would come at Christmas, so at least one of those times was in winter. And that meant that we would get on the road and drive on I-80 through Wyoming in the middle of winter with the car... And I remember just the anxiety as a man, as a dad with this trip, and have I thought of everything, and is everything going to be right? Because you know what, when you get a flat tire in Wyoming, and then you go off the road into the ditch, you will die. That's just as simple as that. <laughs> I mean, it's not, the stakes are pretty high, and so, uh, and plus, you know, you're locked in and cooped in that car. Well, you guys, I would pray and ask God for the strength to be the dad that I needed to be. Please, dear Jesus, if you're real... 1,200 miles in the winter in the car with everybody. You, you know what I'm talking about, Dad, don't you? Go like this. You know what I'm talking about. And I wouldn't make 6.30 a.m. before I was already out of my mind frustrated with everybody in the car, right? When your strength is sapped, when you're at the end, you don't fake it so good anymore. And I remember thinking, I mean, I wasn't even in green, stinking river Wyoming before I was already fully in my spiritual journey of having to confess my sin and having revealed where I really was in terms of my ability to handle the strength, to have the strength that was required to get through that trip, to be patient and loving and caring with everybody in my vehicle. I was already done. And I'm like, oh. So that's where I am. And I had all the way across the Salt Flats and the whole state of stinking Nevada to reflect on, really? That's where I am. Let's get really honest. I can't fake it anymore. And my wife would look at me like, you didn't really? That's how far you got before you lost your mind. <laughs> how does this journey reveal character? Well, when our strength is sapped, we don't fake it so good anymore. And these guys were sapped in this, in this story. The second thing I want to just remind us about is survival mode is fundamentally self-centered. It's self-oriented. Survival mode. When we're just trying to survive, when we're sapped, when we're struggling, when life is hard, and it is, and not all of us could probably define our lives as just survival, but we fall into that, just surviving. I just, I just need to get through the fall. I just need to get through this stage. I just need to get my kids out into kindergarten. I just need to get into next year. I just need to get a new job. I just need, we're just surviving. When we survive, it's fundamentally, almost by, by definition, it becomes self-centered, And the journey tends to test us and say, really? Is that really how focused you are on yourself? Is that Because we know life's about God and other people and the world, but we end up just surviving. We just end up being selfish, self-oriented. So this is how the journey reveals character for us. It's when our strength is sapped, we can't fake it, and we go, whoa, 
that's where I am, okay, new let's deal with that. And when I'm surviving, I'm really only about myself, and it sort of reveals, wow, okay, I guess with all the lordship conversation, all that sort of stuff, uh, this is where I really am, I better get with God. So I want to, in the balance of our time, I want to look at some key revelations, some things that might, what might be revealed on this journey in terms of character and maturity. This is stuff, don't forget now, this is the idea, this is what God is going to meet us in. This is the kind of stuff that the journey reveals, okay? This is the kind of stuff that the journey reveals. Number one, this journey might reveal this, I want God to act according to my will. And I did refer to this a few weeks ago, and uh, by the way, the two sermons that I did a few weeks ago on spiritual warfare, it was called Spiritually Thick Skin, Part 1 and Part 2. If you didn't get to see those, uh, I, I, I continue to hear great feedback about what people have learned and what God is teaching them about this journey and about the, the battle that we're in spiritually. I really would recommend it for your equipping and for your understanding of this spiritual journey, and there's some good stuff in there, and I think about a year's worth of preaching, frankly, and, uh, but go, go and check those out. But, but I made this point there, and, it, and this point is in our text as well. Um, I want God to act according to my will. These guys said, we're thirsty, give us water to drink. Give it to us now. And if you remember and you were here for my sermon, it was, was relating it to the second temptation of Jesus, where, where the enemy, the devil said, hey, throw yourself off and uh, trust God to catch you. Tell God to catch you. And the point in that sermon was, and the point here is, there's going to be this fundamental temptation in our spiritual battle for us to tell God how he has to come through and when he has to come through. This is what it looks like to come through for me, God. Now get in line and do what I say. And there's a difference, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, between asking God in prayer and laboring in prayer and asking for the Lord's will and bribing God and telling him, this is how coming through for me will look. Get on it. And that's what it feels like. And some of our journeys, I mean, that's sort of the deal. We think, man, if I'm your child, God, and you love me, then this is how you'll act because I'm thirsty and can't you see it? Fix that. And the bribery piece is because there's sort of this, and I use this, this passage in Exodus 17 to make that point in my sermon. You look at verse 7 at the end of the text that we read this morning. They had, the, the Israelites had quarreled. And because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? They bribed God. This is what we do. Fix this, God, like this in this timetable. Or I'm going to conclude you're not here. Is the Lord with us or not? There was a sense of bribery. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to honor you. I'm not going to believe in you. You don't come through the way I need you to come through. None of us act like three-year-olds in our walks with God, I'm sure. But there are little sort of subtle shades of that, isn't there, in how we do it. So we talk lordship, but my character is often, I want it, how I want it, and when I want it. And a good journey is going to reveal that. A good journey, meaning a journey full of, of substantial service and love and, and depth. That kind of a journey is going to reveal this thing that I kind of, I want what I want and how I want it and when I want it with God. I'm sort of the Lord of my journey. The journey reveals that. The journey reveals it, remember, so that then we can get with God. And so for each of these that I want to talk about, I want to say, so this is going to require some spiritual discipline. And this is going to require some spiritual discipline, this one, such as worship. This idea of, uh, 
of I want God to act according to my will will require some spiritual discipline. What are spiritual disciplines? You guys, you hear us toss those phrases out there. Spiritual disciplines are any of the practices we can put in life where we're motivated by what's been revealed by our journey. We're motivated to do something about it. This is our part. So what do we do? We get in the place where God shows up. We get in the way of the Holy Spirit so God can do His work in us. Is it, does that make sense? Go like this, or I'll just preach it all morning. I'll keep going. <laughs> That's what spiritual discipline is. We're going to find out where God's showing up, where the Holy Spirit is, is, is available to us, and we're going to put ourselves in that stream. We're going to get in the way. We know how God works. We know where He shows up, and He shows up in these spiritual disciplines such as worship. So in this case, the spiritual discipline of worship, it's the place where we rehearse the truth. That's why we sing it, because then it it goes from our head to our hearts. We rehearse it. You may go out singing that, bless the Lord, O my soul. Right? Have you sung that song after we've done that song? Have you found yourself on Monday and Tuesday singing that song ever? Oh, my soul. And it just, it's there because we're rehearsing the truth. This is what worship does. We rehearse the truth that God is and that he is sovereign and that he knows what's best and that we submit to him with our lives, that I am his, not the other way around, that he is for me, that he's the Lord. He tells me how he's going to come through and when he's going to come through for my good and for his glory. Come on now, church. That's what we rehearse in worship. We get all sideways when we're not living a life of worship. When we're not worshiping the Lord, we're not rehearsing these truths. And we think he's not for me, and he's not present, and he won't be faithful, and he's not coming through. And not only is my life hard, now I'm desperate because I got nothing. But but the discipline of worship is rehearsing all those truths. So we do the work of worship. That's what discipline is. Now, the easy one's showing up here because we feed it to you. It's awesome. But then you got the rest of the week. How does it look for you to invest yourself in the spiritual discipline of worship? It's been revealed on our journey that I'm the Lord of my deal. I want God to act according to my will. And then we go, whoa, okay, I need the spiritual disciplines. I need spiritual disciplines like worship to say, no, 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 no. He is the one worthy of our praise. He is the Lord of all creation. He is the, right? Where does that look for you? Where do you? What does that look like? Are you folks with music in your car? You know, one of the things I want our worship team to do at some point, I'm going to give them something to do. Here you go. Ready? Add this to your job description. I think that they ought to post on the website or somewhere, that they ought to post the author and the titles of the songs, maybe even link you to iTunes after every, after every Sunday morning. So then you could go to the website and click on it. It'll go right to iTunes, buck 29, boom, it's in your phone and you're good to go. Don't you think that's a good idea? And so it's just an easy link so that you're filled with this constant diet of great worship music. That's one way to do it. The other way to do it is just, and it doesn't have to be music, friends. It's this, this practice of rehearsing truth. Oh, God, this is who you are. This is who I am. How do we do that? What does it look like for you? 
And for some of you, it could just be being here. It also could be being engaged in worship. It could be blocking out the, the uh, you know, distractions and figuring all that kind of deal because engaging in worship is different than just showing up for worship. As we all know, praying and interacting with God is different than having a five-minute quiet time or an hour quiet time because you can sit there and watch the world go by and never enter. But there's an engagement, right? Okay, you're with me. That's what discipline is. It's our part. But it's our part, friends, just to get in the stream where the power of God can then do his thing. This journey reveals character, and now we just take it to God. So it may reveal that I want God to act according to my will, and that's going to require spiritual disciplines like worship. Second, uh, it may reveal that my spiritual memory is woefully short. My journey may recognize that. If I had the time, and I wish I had the time, I would go through. This is the fourth time that the Israelites, in Exodus 17, this is the fourth time that they found themselves desperate, grumbling and quarreling, and then having God come through miraculously. It's the fourth time. Does this sound like the fourth time to you? You'd think somewhere in our text they'd go, hang on. We're thirsty, but three times in the last six months, God rocked our planets. Come on, that's the God we serve, everybody. Let's worship. He's going to be faithful. That is not what they did. Their memory was woefully short. They had just before this, friends, been hungry, and they quarreled, and they argued with God. They they said, did you take us? It's like the same words. Did, Did you, in the desert, they continually grumbled against Moses. This is chapter 16 in Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, if only we'd have died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. We'd rather be dead than be out here. They were already, they were, they were grumbling about that then, and they said, or did you bring us out here to starve our entire assembly? And then God gave them miraculous bread from heaven that nobody had ever seen before called manna. And by the way, he kept that miracle up, it says, for 40 years. Every day for 40 years, except for the Sabbath, but on the sixth day, they could go collect twice as much and it wouldn't rot. Every day they had the evidence that God had miraculously provided for 40 years and they still wondered, is God among us or not? (laughs) That's so us. And just before that, they had been thirsty again. And they, got, they went out and they found a, a, a well after they crossed over the, the, from the Red Sea. And they found a well and it, and it was bitter. And they said, what? How come you brought us here to die? There was all kinds of food and water back in Egypt. And so then Moses then threw a stick in the water and it became sweet. Remember that miracle? And they're like, oh, that's sweet water. God's awesome. And just before that, they were standing on the edge of the Red Sea, and God had done all these amazing ten plagues and all this kind of stuff. And then as the Pharaoh and, and the Egyptian army came down upon them, they all started grumbling at Moses and said, what? What are you doing? How come, how come you brought us out here to die? You're not taking care of us, God. Do you remember my sermon said that, by the way, one of the underlying things in every spiritual battle will be this message, he's not for you. God is not for you. God doesn't see you. God doesn't notice your, your peril. God doesn't, he's not, he's not for you. That's always a lie. And they thought it all along. Anyway, the point is in six months, friends, they had seen 10 plagues, sweet water, manna. Oh, quail. We forgot the quail. Not only did God give them bread, he gave them meat, for goodness sakes. And then gave them, how did they not know that? We all know the temptation. Maybe this has been part of your story. But we all know people who somewhere in this journey go, is God among us or not? 
And I don't see God acting for me, even though he acted miraculously so many times in the past. But the, cre- the, the current crisis has created this short memory, and we bail. We go, then we forget it. I can't trust God. I got to go figure it out myself. That is so commonly human. It may be one of the only and maybe the best idea, uh, example of the way that we all share. What I'm trying to say is we all share that, maybe more than any other characteristic in walking with God. We share that short memory piece, and a, and a good journey is going to reveal that. Why? So we can get with God. And it's going to require discipline, friends. It's going to require spiritual disciplines. And I could have listed any of them, but my spiritual memory is woefully short and it's going to require spiritual disciplines like prayer or like fellowship and prayer because active prayer life then connects to us. I'm depending on you, God. And then we see his answers. And then we come back and we thank him for those answers. And then we see more answers. And then there's active prayer life as a discipline in which we're able to ask God and see it come to fruition as opposed to, I don't know, it maybe just would have happened. You know, there's that kind of experience of disciplined prayer where God then shows up and we're like, there he is. Ah, that's awesome. And it keeps our memory current and it keeps us reflecting on on the things that he's done. Prayer does that. The the ministry of fellowship, the discipline of fellowship, I put that in there because that's a spiritual discipline because if any of you hung out with some of the others of you, it's a discipline to get back together. It's like, I love you, Miles. You drive me nuts, you know, but I'm with you. So here we go. It was just a joke. That was just a joke, everyone. I love Miles. But discipline is, I mean, fellowship is a discipline because you come home from work, you're like, I just kind of want to put my feet up, man, a little sports center, that's what I need right now. But there's a discipline to get in somebody's life. Why? Because when they're in your life, listen, you start telling the story of God being at work. You start talking about how God might be at work. The discipline of telling stories in intimate relationships with one another keeps our memory current. This is why the Israelites were told to take the law and then write it on their their doorposts and bind it to their foreheads and tie it to their wrists and talk about it as they go down the road and talk about it when they get up in the morning and talk about it at meals. and talk. They were supposed to do that and share that so their kids grew up hearing how God has stinking come through over and over and over again. You know what? These, this kids' ministry is killing it right now. They are, they are killing it for God in our little hotel rooms, and they'll kill it for God when we get back up to our, in our youth ministry, when we get back up to our building. I mean, we are raising kids who know Jesus, but I tell you what, you want to guarantee that your kids will be heartfelt, lifelong, fully devoted followers of Jesus? You want to know how to do that? You trust God, and you tell the story of how God is real in your life when you get up in the morning, when you walk down the road, when you sit down to eat, when you, you reflect on the story of God at work and your kids are like, I'd love to deny this God thing, but I can't. I can't do it. You, you with me on that, parents? And some of you are like, oh, that reveals something about me because I don't live like that. Well, let's get that out in front of God and let's do something about it. So uh, where was I? Wow, sorry, I started preaching. Um, Oh, so that's the, that's the, the discipline of storytelling, of, of, uh, of, of telling the things that God has done so that we don't forget. Third, what might be revealed in this journey, the third thing. Uh, I don't live gratefully. Again, oh, I wish I had time to preach it. Jesus, stop laughing at me, Bruce. I got a lot to say. I'm going on sabbatical. Did you know that? 
Somebody ought to, I ought to, we ought to be, remi- I, uh, so, uh, yeah, three weeks. <laughs> I'm unloading uh, my heart for you. This might be revealed on the journey. I don't live gratefully. And, and there's a progressive inevitability about this thing that we're talking about. If I want God to act the way I want him to act, then I don't have discernment to see when he's acting in ways that I didn't expect or didn't tell him I needed And so then I don't see where God's doing, so I don't have a grateful heart. I'm not able to see it. And so I'm not able to be grateful about it. And we get in this pattern of expecting God to show up in a certain way and then not being able to see that because we're not looking for it uh, in that way. And we get, our memory gets short and then we're not grateful. Jesus, in fact, ooh, this is a hard one, ready? Jesus taught that the, the religious establishment became less grateful in their journey because they had a sense of entitlement. We're God's people. And they were less grateful. You know the story of the 10 lepers in Luke 17? Jesus went by, the lepers were gathered. He went and prayed for them and said, now go show yourself to the chief priests. And as, it says, as they went, they were healed. So they got away from Jesus and went, oh my gosh, you, you too, you too, oh. And they had that crazy, can you believe what just happened encounter with Jesus? And one of them turned around and ran straight back to Jesus and fell at his feet, praising God, it says. And Jesus said, where's the other nine? Could nobody come back and praise God for crazy miracles, fulfillment, healing, except the one. And then Jesus said this, and he's a Samaritan. Only the foreigner came back. You read in Jesus' teaching, the people of God, the people who belonged, had a sense of entitlement with God, and they were less grateful because of that. God forbid that that would be us, you guys, that we've been around so long that we, we sort of expect God to take care of us. And we've sang so many songs about God's love that when, when God works, we either don't have eyes to see it because we wish he would have worked in a different way, or if we can see it, we're not all that grateful because we think, well, God provided this month, but, you know, I don't see how I'm going to get through next month. The, the journey might reveal that we don't live gratefully, friends. And that's going to require a spiritual discipline like gratitude, the discipline of gratitude. Yes, the discipline of counting blessings and writing it down in a notebook. How many of you have read A Thousand Gifts? How many of you are reading that book? I saw Chrissy smiling all the way back. Uh, It's a book that some women have been reading, and and a guy should read it. I read it, although it's written by a woman, and it's, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, (laughs) Totally secure in my masculinity. You should read this book. but it's about a woman who decided to start writing down over the course of a year a thousand gifts that she has seen God give her. A thousand. It's a killer spiritual discipline. It's such a great idea because the short memory goes away. We recognize that God is gifting us in ways that we don't necessarily expect or, to, or see, but it's God showing up. That's a spiritual gift of gratitude. And even more than just writing those things down, friends, having spiritual discernment in it going, oh, that's how you've been showing up, God. That's you. Oh, that's you. We're learning this dialogue in recent years, Linda and I, where we say this thing to one another. We say to one another, oh, that's a gift. Like, hang on. Are we recognized that that's a gift? It's like God in heaven has said, I want this. Tie it up for you. And it doesn't always look that much like a gift at first. But to have the discipline of saying, wait a minute, what gifts do I have in my life today? 
I shared with you a few weeks ago, I was in the spiritual warfare series. I crashed my car on the way to church. Do you guys remember hearing that? I got a gift out of that. I got a gift out of that. I'm the most careful driver ever. Okay, that's my first gift. I'll tell you my other gift later on. I'll leave that for later. You'll have to hear that another time. Wow, that's a gift, God. And then we become gifts and people become gifts. And we're learning language like, you're a gift to me. I'm going to be grateful for that gift. What can you do to live the discipline, the discipline of gratitude? Because if God is revealing to you that you don't live gratefully, you may need to meet with him on that. Last thing, and I can't rush through it too quickly because I don't want you to miss it. Fourth thing that might be revealed on your journey, and it's a progressive reality from the others. I'm susceptible to having a negative spirit. If I don't see it, God's not coming through the way that I want him to, and I'm forgetting how he does come through, and then I'm not living a life of gratitude, then I'm going to be susceptible to a negative spirit. If I'm not steeped in reflection and gratitude and praise, then I'm going to have a negative spirit. Even good stuff that happens, I'm going to know right away where the downside could be or whether the other shoe's going to fall or whether it wasn't as complete as I could have dreamt that it would have been. And when bad stuff happens, I have no ability to be able to look and see where the hope is or where the light is or where the the grace is or where the gift is in it. I mean, I can have a negative spirit and it's just negative. When you look at the text, they quarreled at Moses. They grumbled at Moses. They quarreled with each other in verse 7. It always ends up that, that in the end of this process of not remembering the way these guys have all along, that they're negative toward people and not just God. Not only they harden their hearts toward God, well, he's not for me. They start being negative toward people. They, become, they have a negative spirit about everything. Moses was taking the brunt. He's like, why are you arguing with me? Because, friends, when we go down the road of this progressive having our character revealed where we really are, we don't take it to God, we end up blaming people. Well, my husband's not helping me on my spiritual journey, so. Well, my boss or our pastors, we blame other people. Leaders end up being targets. But do you see where a negative spirit becomes the inevitable outcome of not, not recognizing where God's working, not being grateful, not seeing his gifts? We just become negative. We have the salvation of God through the free gift of grace in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And when we do not live the fragrant freedom and joy and dependence on that, it is a grave sin. And our journey will reveal that to us. How are you living like this, God will say to me? With a negative, what do you have to be negative about? I was riding my bike the other day in exercise and I was praying for my wife and I was praying for stuff. And honestly, you know what? I was praying for some things for her that I, she, I was praying for her stuff and then started recognizing, I didn't finish the sentence, I know, I won't. And uh, I was praying and I started to recognize what I was grateful for from her, about her. And I was on my bike and I started telling God, and thank you for this. And God, thank you for that. And realizing that there's been, there's negative stuff in my heart toward my wife. Hello, no secret, right? We all have that. And, and, and I started recognizing what a gift she was again and what a gift she was. I had to pull over 
on my bike because I had to lift my hands in worship and get the tears out of my eyes that God had given me such a gift. Did I make up for it at all by that part? And at all. <laughs> but we can end up just having the negative spirit. And here's the hard question. Are you negative? Is that your orientation? With all the spiritual journey, the journey is revealing these things about us. And has it revealed to you that you're negative and that you do not have the fragrance of Christ and you do not have the joy and the beauty around your life, even in part or predominantly because you've gone down this road and you've forgotten the gifts of God? You've got to get some... This is required the spiritual discipline of confession. You may have to get on your knees and tell the Lord, I can't believe that I've looked at your salvation and this life that you've given me with such contempt. This is a hard word, isn't it? And you may have to confess to some people around you, including your family. And you may have to ask some really good friends, am I just negative? Do you get lifted when you're with me? Or is it tiring to be with me? And is there some sense in you of entitlement? And God hasn't come through that way, so you're just ticked. And the way you interact and the way you love and the way you serve and the way you smell is negative. The gift of the discipline of confession can turn that around and get us in the place of rehearsing the truth of what's really going on, that God is and we're his and he's for us. Band, I want you to come up and I'm going to give you one verse, friends, as a conclusion. We're going to sing a song in our last couple minutes to respond to the Lord. See, I know this is a hard message. But this is ultimately about hope. Hope. This is ultimately about hope. Our journey reveals what may be going on in my character. Listen, I know the band's pretty. Look right at me. Listen, don't miss this. <laughs> the journey reveals what may be happening in my character so that we can get with God. And Paul says to the Romans... This journey, this suffering, he calls it suffering because that's what happens on our journey, produces perseverance and perseverance what? Anybody know? Character and character hope. Our journey produces perseverance because we stay the course with the truth of God and perseverance produces character. That's what builds character. Staying with God in this and character Hope. What? In what? He goes on to say, this is Romans 5, 3 and following. He goes on to say, and hope, friends, will not disappoint you. For God has given us his love in the Holy Spirit into our hearts. There it is. Listen, God's love is manifest by the presence of his very Holy Spirit in our hearts. He's the one that then transforms us. That's where the hope is. Our journey produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope will not disappoint us, for God has given us His Holy Spirit to transform us.
So when the journey reveals these things about where we're really at, we come before him, we get in the stream of where God's showing up, that spiritual discipline, and we say, God, do your transforming work in my life, and we'll find hope. May God bless you in your journey this week.